Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Happy October, Halloween season. It's my favorite time of year. (laughs) I didn't know whether that was a ghost or like somebody just (laughs) cheering. It was a very happy ghost. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) So uh, for this episode, we're going to be doing The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. So... When I told my husband that we were doing this one, he was like, uh, but that's not a folktale or a fairy tale because you said in episode one that. <laughs> Who let him listen to the podcast? I know. <laughs> He's getting too smart. He was like, in episode one, you said like, if it has like one specific author, like it's not a folktale, it's a person who wrote a story. And we will explain that later. I just need you guys to trust me right now. I promise there's a relevant tie-in and a purpose to why I'm telling you besides that it's just like the quintessential American Halloween story. I trust you 100%. That's what you better say. So there was a real town called Terrytown. And really close to Terrytown was a very special place called Sleepy Hollow. And inside Sleepy Hollow, it was described as just this very quiet, quaint place where everything kind of slowed down. The name is Sleepy Hollow. (laughs) I feel like we can all get that feeling from the name. Uh, It's like a town you just walk through the gates and are just immediately... <sighs> find a tree to just take a nap under and put a, you know, a hay stalk in your mouth or whatever. Yeah. But I feel like that would be the story of Rip Van Winkle. So don't, Ooh, don't, yeah. don't wander, don't wander away, <laughs> Jeffrey. <laughs> so inside of this super sleepy town, people said that they would, they felt like it was bewitched. That the reason why it was so quiet and calm all the time was because they had several theories that there is a high German doctor during the early days of settlement who had bewitched the place or that like old Indian medicine men had bewitched the place. There are lots of these different theories. Somebody bewitched it. We don't know who. Yes. So wait, just a point of clarification. Yes. Is this, this is like the, like this is actual lore about the actual place or is this like in the story? Are we in the story yet or is this still build up to the story? I mean, we're in the story. Oh, okay. But it, but, but is it also true? I mean, you know what I mean? The town. Ta- it's a real place, you said. It is a real place and it is a small town and it has always been like a very small, like quiet town. But I don't believe that the people inside of it thought that it was bewitched until after this story was written, (laughs) if that makes sense. Gotcha, okay. But what you're pointing at is, like, just a very important thing, like, and why it's important to talk about this story, that the story rubs so close to reality that people, it was easy for people to believe 
that this was real, that this was a real story that that happened. Right. And that was Washington Irving's trick. Yeah, that's cool. And it's kind of like it feeds back into itself. Like he writes the story and then people are like, well, we know the story's fake, but there's lots of stuff that's really based on. So maybe it's based on this, like re- like what becomes real, and what becomes made up. Yeah. The line gets like really blurry, which is fun, but also potentially confusing. Yes. No, and we'll we'll talk about this later when we get to the discussion part of this. Yeah, right. Sorry. Okay, story, no, story. You're totally fine. So anyway, so there's this really sleepy town called Sleepy Hollow. It makes sense because <sighs> the name. <laughs> Thank you to our sound effects people. <laughs> so the whole town was abound with local tales, haunted spots, and twilight superstitions. This was actually a community that was very religious. And this is post-revolutionary war. Because this was a place of battle, there were lots of stories about the people who still haunted the place during the battle. And one of the people who was said to haunt this spot was a Hessian horseman. I recently found out that the Hessians were mercenaries German mercenaries that were fighting on the side of the British. Our listeners might not know this. I didn't grow up in the United States. <laughs> and so I like, this was all news to me. I was like, what's a Hessian? And I looked it up and yeah, there were these German mercenaries that were fighting that the British had hired to fight in the revolutionary war. And they were seen as just kind of like the most evil because it's like, not only were they not fighting for, king and country they were just fighting for money they were like there to kill the revolutionaries just for money just to get paid yeah Yeah. just to get paid and so the story goes that there is this hessian horseman who was riding into the battle and a cannonball came and (laughs) blasted his head off and the only harm that was done to him was that his head was ripped off of his body and completely crushed by the cannonball. <laughs> a nice clean. Yeah. Which, you know, it fits in with, it fits in with the narrative of like, of the story because, uh, of course, people would not have pity for this person having this injury because all the people who are enjoying these stories and telling these stories and spooking each other with them were revolutionaries. So, yeah. The more dead Hessians, the better. (laughs) So that was one of the biggest tales that was told in this area, but they had lots of ghost stories. And also because this now was a, this was a town of Puritans and Dutch Puritans, and they were known for being very religious And for some reason, people who are really religious also tend to really enjoy telling ghost stories and stories about demon possessions and (laughs) stories about witches. (laughs) Um, And so that is one of the things that they would enjoy doing. So inside this sleepy town, a man came named Ichabod Crane to teach these backward country people. He came from <laughs> Connecticut and was very learned and felt very, very like highly of himself. So I feel like the description of Ichabod like physically is always just pretty amusing. 
if anybody has seen any of the depictions, like the the Disney one that Disney did of like Ichabod Crane and the headless it's horseman, like the, looks like a bird, like got a big nose and yeah, it's like yeah. super skinny. Exactly, just this like scrawny guy, big ears, it, they, really tall. They said he had a flat head, <laughs> and so like this guy, like physically. I don't know. He's not doing it really for anybody. <laughs> but, but still, he became like really popular in the town because of his education. He especially became popular among the ladies. Like they like to have him around because he would tell them interesting stories that he had read in books because he could read. <laughs> and so they thought like, this guy is incredible. So smart, you know, high class. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I'm like looking at him like, Oh no, <laughs> like, that's not what I'm seeing. But okay. Ladies, like if that's what you're into, oh, that's why they cast Johnny Depp in the movie version <laughs> to get the ladies interested. Yeah. To make it more believable that, like, somebody would... <laughs> Instead of this flathead, big-nosed guy yeah. getting all the ladies. If it looks like Johnny Depp, then you can kind of understand. Yeah. So, he's the school teacher, and he's kind of known for... It said, like, he didn't spare the rod or spoil the child. <laughs> and they said it like it's this big positive thing, because, again, like, this story was written, like, in, like, the 1800s. And so, like, like now I'm looking at it, and I'm just like... <laughs> Um, all right, that's mm, not, not, I'm not into that. <laughs> this is Yelp review. This man will beat your kids. Yeah. Five like, stars. Yeah, like amazing <laughs> teacher. He will definitely hit your kid if like they talk back to him. But it said that like after school, he, you know, would be willing to like roughhouse with the boys like in the class and, and join in like just some of their games and he really wanted the kids to like him because when the kids liked him, they would invite him over to their house for dinner. <laughs> so he could be with the so hot he, moms of the town. Yep. <laughs> he could be with all the hot moms. He's like, oh, do you have an older sister I could maybe? So, And also he was big into food. We'll get into that. that like his main attraction is food. Like that's what he likes. <laughs> and so he was always trying to like get into people's houses to get more food to like be fed. So that's what he was about. So he was always really nice to the kids so that he could get in and get some of that food. And they say that to kind of, so that he could like make them like him better. He would also assist with some of the lighter farm work, farm work that kind of would be closer to home that like the women would be more likely to do just or that small kids like bringing cows in from the pasture or like chopping some firewood just like stuff that wasn't considered as like tough manly work <laughs> he would be doing that stuff <laughs> he's a learned man he's big on brains that's what's important for us to remember so also he was in charge of teaching singing lessons. And he, th he thought very highly of his own voice and his own singing. <laughs> this guy sounds so obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm like. 
when it was talking about his singing, I was like, this reminds me of Myra Rose from like Shit's Creek, where he just <laughs> yeah. like is like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to teach you all how to sing like me. And then when he's at church, he's yeah. like singing super, super loud <laughs> to be. But what's funny is like a lot of the women, they're like listening to him sing and they're just like, oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. That's like. That's that's how people are supposed to sing in the big city. So cultured, <laughs> so attractive. <laughs> so they're into it. So anyway, one of his favorite things to do was he had this book that he was constantly carrying around and reading and it was called Cotton it was written by Cotton Mather's History of New England Witchcraft. It's a real person who was involved in the Salem witch trials. Yeah. That's all like, that's a whole tangent right there. It's just like him mentioning this book. It's like, that's a whole nother topic to go into, but he loved to like read this book about witchcraft and like how witchcraft presents, how demons like present. So he would lay down in the clover and he would just sit and read this book until dusk came. And then while he was walking home, he would freak himself out <laughs> thinking that he was about to get jumped by ghosts <laughs> or like the witches were going to start dancing around him. So, which yeah, I'm he like, didn't have like an episode of the office that he could watch as like a cleanser before he went to bed. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, that's what I do these days. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I do that to myself. I was doing that like all this last, last couple of weeks where I would just be like reading about like creatures and like ghost <laughs> stories and stuff. And then when I got good and freaked out, I was like, okay, it's time to go to bed. (laughs) And then like every sound I heard, I'm like, it's gremlins. (laughs) It's like, nope, just your own children. So (laughs) there are no gremlins in the house except the ones that you made yourself. So anyway, he loved to just freak himself out reading ghost stories and he, yeah, anything that like popped up, like if, if an acorn fell down off of a tree, he was like, oh no, a witch is like attacking me. It's like, buddy, like calm down. But that was, it was one of his favorite things to do was to just like sit and freak himself out. So one thing that would happen is he would go over to women's houses, get invited to dinner and then when they were at the end of dinner, when they're just sitting around visiting with each other, women were just sitting around visiting with each other, he would listen to them telling their old, like, Dutch ghost stories. He loved hearing their ghost mm. stories because the man's addicted to, like, <laughs> creepy pasta. Like, that's, like, what he's into. <laughs> and he found all of these religious ladies who apparently that's their like, favorite thing to do, too. <laughs> Like, we have so much in common. Y'all heard about Slender Man? <laughs> oh, man. So, that is where he first heard the tale of the Headless Hessian. Oh, man. I bet he ate that up, too. Oh, he did. He would get completely delighted by the story of it. The only story that he didn't seem to like was the story that they would tell about Brom Bones. Because Brom Bones, we'll talk about him in a little bit. He's a big, strong guy. And he had this story that this one day while he was riding his horse and he was riding home, the Headless Horseman came and, like, stood next to him. And he, like, challenged the Headless Horseman to a race and then won. And, like, then the ghost, you know, the Headless Horseman, like, disappeared. 
And all of the women were like, oh my gosh, that's totally Brom Bones. He's like so strong. <laughs> that is so Brom. <laughs> Brom would totally challenge a headless horseman to a race. That's so him. And it was. It was so him. And Brom's like a good, one of the town, like he's one of the townspeople, like claiming that he had really seen it. Or yes, no, he-, he was. Yeah, he was one of the townspeople who claimed that he had really seen it, that he had really rode with this thing. And there were a lot of people in the town who had their like, own like stories. experience with the headless Hessian. Yeah, and they would love to bring it up all the time. So there's this one passage that I absolutely love because it um, kind of like demonizes women. So it's my favorite. <laughs> we know you're so into that. It wrote, uh, or Washington wrote. He would have passed a pleasant life of it in despite of the devil and all his works if his path had not been crossed by a being that caused more perplexity to mortal men than ghosts, goblins, and the whole races of witches put together. And that was a woman. I'm like, yeah, we're more confusing and upsetting than like ghosts, ghosts goblins. Witches. Nothing is worse, like, in this whole world. I'm like, You're walking through the woods at night. What would you rather see? A ghost, a goblin, or a woman? (laughs) Like, please, not a woman. They're so perplexing. So I want to point out that in this story, because people will remember, oh, Ichabod Crane, he was in love with this woman named Katrina Von Tossel. No, he was not. No, no. I'm, I'm telling you, no, he is not. There's like one paragraph devoted to this girl and it basically is like, she was really flirty. She was so beautiful and plump, which I'm like, thank you. Me too. So, (laughs) and then it said she had the prettiest foot and ankle in the country around. Oh man. I'm like, yeah, that's right. She was showing ankle in Puritan, New England. Mm, I don't know about her. Oh, (laughs) She's worse than a ghost goblin or a witch. (laughs) Showing her ankles. Anyway, so one paragraph is devoted to this woman. The next like three pages are devoted to what Ichabod Crane was really in love with about this woman. So even in the own words, like this isn't just like my interpretation like of the story. Like Washington Irvine wrote in it. Irving. I'm going to mess it up every time and you have to correct me. Washington Irving (laughs) said, and it is not to be wondered at that so tempting a morsel. So that's a food word. I just want you to remember. (laughs) Soon found favor in his eyes, more especially after he had visited her in her paternal mansion and saw how much money Mm. her dad had. So the next like three pages of the story literally are about all of the food like all of the livestock and like grain <laughs> that this guy had and how he was like imagining cooking all of those things. Yeah, he's it seriously is like sucking pigs, snowy geese were everywhere. And it said he even imagined Chanticleer himself like sprawling on his back. But yeah, so he's just like, even the rooster, he was like, I'm going to eat that. <laughs> and it's like, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not any so it's like food 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 oh my goodness food and then he like went inside of the house and was like oh my gosh so much furniture 
so many like paintings and like all this beautiful stuff. And he imagined like in his head getting married to Katrina and selling all of that stuff and (laughs) taking her to buy like a big mansion in Kentucky, like or Tennessee or Lord knows where that's like a direct quote. So he seriously was like, we're going to get out of this sleepy town. I'm going to sell all this stuff. And like all this money (laughs) I am going to (laughs) use. So that is what he was super into was just this, the riches of it. He wasn't into her like Katrina. Like he wasn't in love with the woman. Like, no, he just wanted to marry her and get all this stuff. Wanted to get food and richness. So another quote, it says, in this enterprise, however, he had more real difficulties than generally fell to the lot of a knight errand of yore who seldom had anything but giants, enchanters, fairy dra- or fiery dragons, and such like easily conquered adversaries to contend with and had to make his way merely through gates of iron and brass and walls of adamant to the castle keep where the lady of his heart was confined. All this which he achieved as easily as a man would carve his way to the center of a Christmas pie. And then it goes on to be like, but not this lady. (laughs) (laughs) This lady he had to contend with Brom Bones, which I'm like, is Brom Bones really worse than fiery dragons? Apparently, yes. (laughs) 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 And it's fine because Katrina was worse than a goblin or a ghost. So like, (laughs) sounds like her and Brom deserve each other. So, Brom Bones. Now it's time for us to talk about Brom Bones. His name is Abraham Van Brunt, which I'm like, Brunt is a great last yeah. name. I don't. The Dutch shortening of Abraham is Brom. And so they called him Brom Bones because he just was like real built, stacked, manly man. So, Brom Bones was known just as this rough and tumble guy. He had a really good nature. Like, he was funny. Everybody loved joking around, laughing with him. He was, I think, what people today would just refer to as, like, a man's man. Yeah. Or like, it's like, he's the guy that you would want to invite over to your house, like, so you could, like, grill, watch football, and pal around with. But it all they also say that... His amorous toyings were something like the gentle caresses and endearments of a bear. <laughs> which immediately made me think of the Aesop fable story. <laughs> Best be careful because he'll smash your face with a rock. Yeah, it's like, Katrina, this guy loves you, but also like he's going to smash your face with a rock. Um, but yeah, it's like he loved her, but it was in this kind of like just really rough way. There was also another Aesop fable thing that this made me think about because it said that even though Brom Bones was this formidable opponent that most men would just immediately like back away from, Ichabod Crane was pliable and perseverant. Though he bent, he would never break. Though he bowed beneath the slightest pressure, he would always stand erect. And don't giggle at the word (laughs) erect. Anyway, it reminded me of the, like, stoop to conquer. I, like, wrote that in my notes. Yeah, the reeds and the oak. I wrote that in my notes that I was like, oh, stoop to conquer. It really is super ingrained in our culture. It is. It absolutely is. 
And those are like, when I'm quoting stuff, it's like to just to point out like where this language like slips in to this story. So the beautiful Katrina, she started to hang around more. I call her the beautiful Katrina because like, that's, that's always what they-, what they call them. Them. That's always what they refer to her as. And by beautiful, I want to reiterate, they mean plump and hot <laughs> ankle. Those are the qualities to look for in a woman. I'm just saying. So she did start hanging around more with Ichabod Crane and she was seen like walking home places like with him and he would spend time like at their house, eating at their table, talking and entertaining everybody with his ghost stories and probably his singing voice. (laughs) So anyway, Brom Bones started to get jealous And people heard him say that he wanted to break that man, that he wanted to just bend him over (laughs) and like snap him. (laughs) Which he probably totally could do. Which he probably totally could do. But my boy Brom, he thought smart. What he decided to do instead was he was going to start like tormenting this guy with like practical jokes. Nice. That... That he was going to outwit him. He was going to, like, outsmart him. Which I'm like, good for you to be like, yeah, that guy might be, like, highly intelligent because he can read and stuff. But look how stupid he looks when I, like, stop up his chimney and, like, he fills his entire house with smoke. Like, now he's an idiot. It's like, Brom. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) It seems like you'd be like, oh, you know what, Brom? Why don't you just play to your strengths and, like, just break him in half because you're a big, strong guy. But he's like, he really was smart in the sense it's like, if you want to discredit this guy, take away all the stuff that everybody loves about him, like how smart he is and all that stuff. Like, if you can make him look like he's, like, an idiot, then you're taking away his greatest asset in wooing all the ladies. Exactly. I'm I'm team Brom. Put it on a shirt. I'm wearing it. (laughs) We don't know whether he'll hit your kids if they disbehave. Disbehave? If they misbehave. (laughs) Hey, that's just another check in his column as far as I'm concerned. So, anytime he had the opportunity to, like, ridicule this guy, one of the things I feel like gets depicted, like, the most often is he, like, would he snuck into the schoolhouse and he put all the furniture like on the ceiling. Like it said that he turned everything topsy turvy and like that kind of spooked the school teacher. Cause the first thing he thought was like, Oh, it's possessed by a devil. <laughs> it's like, no buddy. Somebody's just playing jokes on you. Settle down. Anyway, man, that's some commitment too. to like, I don't know how he put it on there, but like to nail it or like glue all the furniture or whatever to like the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. And he had this group of, he had this like group of guys that he would like always hang out with. And so I bet it was Brahms bros. Yeah. That's what they're called. (laughs) That's what's going to go on the (laughs) t-shirt. Team Brahm. Brahms bro. Coming to the fairy tellers store. (laughs) So one fine day, it's like all of that was lead up to the actual story. I'm like, what are people's heads getting chopped off? Let's get to it. Yeah. Like let's get to the stuff. So this one day, Ichabod Crane sitting in his schoolroom. He's teaching his kids. And this messenger comes from the Van Tassel house. Von Tassel. Von Tassel. And the note, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how to say it. So I'll say it 18 different ways. Perfect. So this messenger came from the Van Tassel's house and said, oh, hey, just so you know, you're invited to this like autumn party that we're having tonight. Like you should come to it. And Ichabod Crane was like, 
Awesome. Absolutely. I will. Children go home. Get out of here. Go. <laughs> so <laughs> he like class dismissed. Yeah, Let me just pick out which song I'm going to sing tonight. Oh yeah. Do, did, did they happen to say what's on the menu? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and I, I want you to remember that you asked what song he was going to sing tonight because it gets worse than that. <laughs> and it's one of the funniest <laughs> things I feel like in this whole story uh, that like gets buried. And yeah. yeah, I'm excited. Oh my gosh. So anyway, this, he immediately sends all the kids home because pedagogy is like very important to him, obviously. And Mm -hmm. so he's like, get out of here, children. So that he could like get himself like all dolled up and like ready to go to this like party and make sure that he got there with like plenty of time so that I guess he could be the first one to the food. (laughs) So when you got a flat head, it takes a lot of time to comb your hair just so. (laughs) Yeah. To like pretend that you have like a dome shaped head. He's like, no, it's a normal head. (laughs) Anyway. So he gets all ready to go and he is like, I'm not going to walk there. Walking would take way too long. I'm going to take this old plow horse named Gunpowder, who is just this ornery, it's this ornery, like, old plow horse. And he's like, I'm going to do it. It's totally fine. And he took it. Awesome name. (laughs) Yeah, Gunpowder. That's what they said. Like, Like, it's old now, but its name leads people to believe that maybe in its youth, it was better, that, yeah. A punch. So he took that from Hans Van Ripper. That's the person whose house he was currently staying at. Hans Van Ripper. I was like, that is a frightening name. Yeah, there's a lot of great names in this thing. Yeah, I'm like, oh, if anybody's looking for a good name for their child. <laughs> so he gets the horse ready and he like takes off down and it's just like this fine autumn day and he's just enjoying it. The last evening that he gets to enjoy. <laughs> Bum, bum, bum. Some foreshadowing. So he gets there, and of course, he talks about the food. Well, first on the journey there, he's like imagining <laughs> being fed by Katrina, and I'm like, ew, <laughs> Ichabod, behave. And then when he gets there, they're like, oh, there was so much food. And also, Mr. Irving, he mentions buxom girls twice in two paragraphs i'm like ooh, ooh, it's getting it's getting real somebody probably gonna pop out pop out an ankle <laughs> i can't believe they, i read this in school i know <laughs> it's getting hot in here so anyway he also sees that brom bones is there and he had ridden in on his favorite steed daredevil Ooh. Mm-hmm. and his horse daredevil They said that he was this big, strong horse and only Brom Bones could manage him because Brom Bones had the temperament of a man who could tame a horse that would want to break his neck. Like, ooh, Brom. Brom. (laughs) Like, yeah, Brom, get it. So anyway, so Brom was there and enjoying the party up until Ichabod Crane got there and was like, Hello, ladies. Where's the food? Let's hang out. We'll tell me some stories about your life. I love it, girls. And Brahm's like, ugh, whatever. And that's, you know, kind of when he heads off. So then the band, the band starts playing this music. And Ichabod is like, do you know who's an amazing dancer? Me. (laughs) I'm an amazing dancer. This is my absolute favorite part because it's the most unrealistic thing that I can possibly imagine. Uh, Because... In the story, 
it says he got out like on the dance floor and he's dancing around like with the gangly body that he has. And it says that even outside the black people who are working gathered around the windows <laughs> and were watching him with smiles on their faces. <laughs> and they're like, that's how good his dancing was. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have some news for you. <laughs> they were not watching him dance going, he's so good at this. <laughs> I bet they were smiling. I bet they were smiling. <laughs> because probably the funniest thing that they had ever seen in their entire lives. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this is prime entertainment right here. So as the sun starts to set and the band kind of plays some calmer music, the party's like winding down. People got around like in a circle, men and women and children all gather around in a circle and started telling ghost stories. Of course, because that seems to be what everybody's favorite thing to do in Sleepy Hollow is. And they're playing to- right into Ichabod's hands too. Oh, yeah. This is like this is where he shines in his storytelling abilities. First he's so, dancing. Now there's some storytelling. Yeah. Like this guy's got it all. Our, our boy's <laughs> got our boy Brahm's gotta step it up. Yeah, if he's gonna <laughs> defeat this amazing <laughs> specimen. <laughs> so they all start telling kind of their stories of when they had seen the headless horseman and how frightening it was. And they've also telling all these ghost stories from years and years past, even mentioning this old tree. They call it major Andre's tree because it was where major Andre was jumped and then killed like under this tree that's like nearby this place. So they start talking about the church and how the church through its Christian purity is able to be the safe spot to be where, when like all of these like horrible, scary things are happening. So they're all sitting and talking about their amazing stories. And somebody brings up Brom Bones, like amazing story of him, like defeating like the headless (laughs) horseman. And that's when Ichabod is kind of like, okay, let me tell some stories. And so he starts regaling them with, you know, change the topic, like whatever, Brahms beat the headless horse and whatever. But he wants to talk about his ghost story experiences and like how amazing he is and all of this good stuff. So after this, after he tells some of his stories, the party's kind of over. People are starting to leave. Hint, hint. (laughs) It's like, Ichabod, if people are leaving, like, if the party's over once you start talking, like, anyway. So, as everybody starts leaving, Ichabod's like, now is my chance, because I showed this girl, like, my amazing dance skills, and, like, wowed this crowd. (laughs) Now is my chance to, like, make a move. So, he kind of gets her alone after, like, everybody else is like, kind of left, and... It says, the author says, or the narrator says that we don't know what went on in the conversation, but Ichabod left in a huff and really upset. So I don't think it went well. So I'm like, obviously he was like, hey, let's nail this thing down. When do we want to set some wedding dates? When can this happen? And she's like, oh, buddy, no. It even... (laughs) The narrator even said, like, 
chances are she had been trying to make Brom jealous just to get Brom to kind of step his game up. Mm. Which I'm like, that totally sounds like a woman. <laughs> Worse than goblins. <laughs> Women. Anyway. So Ichabod Crane left in a huff, super grumpy, like super angry. And so he's kind of walking along at this witching hour of night, dark, and he's headed home. And all of a sudden he hears, he's like, oh my gosh, what is that? And it's a bullfrog. It's like, settle down, buddy. (laughs) And then he hears like a whippoorwillow in the trees. And he's like, what was that? It's like, it's a bird. Calm down. So he's starting to like do what he usually does, which is freak himself out. Like (laughs) while he's like, oh, he's on horseback. So he's on horseback because he's riding gunpowder. So he gets underneath Major Andre's tree and he is kind of like freaked out just because he's like, oh, yeah, we were just talking about this guy getting jumped here and murdered like underneath this tree. And then he thinks he sees something like white on like up in the tree Uh and he quickly like turns to look up and it's just like a burnt part of the tree (laughs) and yeah it's like it was just a discolored part of the tree it was like the part of the tree and then he hears this like groaning sound he's like what was that where's it coming from and it's just branches like rubbing against each other he's like getting freaked out by the wind by the leaves by like everything around so since he's starting to get spooked he's starting to kick gunpowder like on the sides to be like like, get moving gunpowder like Like, uh, (laughs) gotta get home in a hurry come on yeah but gunpowder is an old horse and also does not appreciate being kicked and so gunpowder starts veering off in like whatever direction he's being like he turns towards a fence to kind of like hit Ichabod's leg up against the fence to be like quit kicking me and (laughs) like cool it dude so Ichabod starts hitting on the other side so like the horse is like running ahead running sideways dodging and it's freaking Ichabod out more because it's like he already was tense and now this horse is like like, freaking out freaking out already the horse is scared by all the demons too they must be real (laughs) yeah it's like oh even the horse could feel it and the horse is like please stop kicking me you imbecile so he's freaking out he's freaking out finally he starts getting the horse to like calm down and just as he's getting the horse to combat down he sees something out of the corner of his eye and he looks and there's something big and dark next to him and he's like oh my gosh what it if it's the headless horseman so he instantly remembers that like well brom bones was able to like outrun him so i'm gonna start going really fast so he takes off, start like going really fast. Yeah, he's like trying to get gunpowder to go really fast. And gunpowder is like, no, bro. And and the horse is like keeping even with him. So then the horse like slows down and he's like, okay, okay, maybe if I lag behind, it'll go ahead of me. But no, it slows down too. The dark figure next to him slows down too. And it's moving real slow next to him. And so he's trying to just stay a little bit ahead of it and moving evenly, but he's getting more and more amped and freaked out the more they go. And soon, as they're walking parallel with each other, the figure next to him ends up on some higher ground on a hill and silhouetted against the full moon sky, he sees this massive figure of a headless horseman and sitting on his lap is this 
head sitting right between his legs. And that's when Ichabod loses <laughs> his mind. <laughs> and he just takes off, like, try, like, he's like, no, we're going full out. So he's trying to get gunpowder to go fast. And now the headless horseman is riding right behind him. And he is getting freaked out. And he's like, I've got to get to the bridge. I've got to get to the bridge where after you cross the bridge, the headless horseman is supposed to disappear. And so the two of them are, you know, like I was going to say neck and neck, but that seems a weird thing to say (laughs) about somebody who's missing a head. So like they're, they're going like with each other and they get to the bridge. And as they're crossing the bridge, he hears this like high cackling laugh and he sees that the apparition didn't disappear when he crossed like over the bridge and the apparition picked up its head and chucked it (laughs) at Ichabod and it hit Ichabod. And that's all anybody ever knew. The horse galloped off and Ichabod crane was never seen in those parts again. But the next day, when people went to that spot, they saw a crushed pumpkin. (laughs) And when they would retell the story to each other, every time they retold the story, if they told it in the presence of Brom Bones, when they mentioned the pumpkin, he would get a sly smile on his face, (laughs) and he would kiss his wife, Katrina. Aww. The end! (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So, what... It really is the perfect Halloween story because it's about fake ghost stories and just hardcore pranking people. (laughs) Yeah, it's like people who want to freak each other out, who... Human beings who love being scared, who just, like, for whatever reason, we like to either spook each other for fun or, like, spook each other to, like, teach a lesson. It's... It's a great story, uh, and it's considered an American folktale. Now, at this point, because of the way that it was written. If you ever find yourself driving down a long stretch of Route 66, longing for a safe and comfortable refuge from the biting autumn winds, stop in at Mr. G's Pizza, open Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays in Joseph City, Arizona. Always warm and welcoming, you won't find any ghouls, ghosts, or goblins while you enjoy your meal. Unless Andy is working that day. Pizzas are made fresh and sure to keep you warm on a cold autumn evening. Snuggle into your seat and bite into delicious breadsticks and tangy wings at Mr. G's Pizza. So, Jeffrey, you pointed out to me before we started, you were like, oh, my name is like somehow like in this collection of stories because the legend of sleepy hollow, it is written within a it's, it's framed as like a story within a story within a story. Like it's like three narrators away from Washington Irving because at the beginning of the story, they say that this letter It's like, this story was found among the papers of Diedrich Knickerbocker. So so the narrator is supposed to be Diedrich Knickerbocker. And at the true end of the story, it's revealed that Diedrich Knickerbocker heard this story 
from somebody inside of a pub who said, Faith, sir, as to that matter, I don't believe one half of this story myself. (laughs) And the story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, it's within a book that is called The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon Gentleman. So this story was supposedly like given to Jeffrey Crayon Gentleman, who got it from the letter of Diedrich Knickerbocker, who heard, who heard this story inside of a pub. <laughs> who heard it from somebody, like his cousin, that heard it from somebody in Sleepy Hollow. Exactly. So this That's story hilarious. is like, like story within a story within a story of... And the reason why he... The reason why it was framed that way is to give it kind of an unknown providence that... This story has been around for a very long time, which is false. This story was completely made up and printed in either 1819 or 1820, which also I want to point out because I love pointing out like timelines of like when things happened. The Grimm's brothers, they published their book of fairy tales, 1812. So, like, eight years later, this story was published. And so, to us, it seems like, oh, this is a really, really old story because it was written 200 years ago. Yeah. And so, it it must be, it must have been a local fairy tale. Like, it must have been a fairy tale. And what gets it even more confusing is that Irving chose to name characters after real people who existed. There was a Katrina. There was an Ichabod. There are tons of, like, Abraham. Uh, like, in the town of Sleepy Hollow, he just, like, walked through the cemetery and was like, oh, let's see here. Yeah, like, who are these people? So they, so he knew somebody named Ichabod Crane, and he knew a woman named Katrina, and said, like, oh, like, I'm going to write about you. And there were, and this was based around a tale of, like, the revolution, which when this story was written, it had only been about 50 years since the Revolutionary War, or not even 50 years since the Revolutionary yeah, like War years. was won. Yeah. And so the the people who fought in that, or even who had parents who fought in that were his readers, the people who were seeing those for the this story for the first time. And so it placed the story inside their memory as if it was a real story that must have happened in Sleepy Hollow, which is near Terrytown in New York City. Not New York City, inside New York State. And so all of this was purposefully orchestrated to make it seem like it's a real folk tale or it's a real legend like uh instead of it being made up by one dude yeah um and i find that fascinating <laughs> yeah well, we've talked about that before too like you know tolkien did it with the hobbit it's like the classic trick one of my favorite books of all time is dracula which is this whole thing where yes. they talk about it being like journals and letters and you know telegraph not what is it called phonograph recordings or whatever that then they talk about like compiling this record in the book itself so it just seems like oh it's this like faux historical thing that really happened it's like not something that was written but he compiled it and found this book or whatever just like he found this letter and there are there are lots of examples like of that happening where somebody 
will create something. And it was, it was happening a lot, especially around the time of people recording fairy tales and people recording like kind of national tales. There were people who were writing their own stories and then selling them and marketing them as like folk legends of the time, like, oh, regional stories. And it still, yeah, is gets used today. I feel like a lot less successfully because pretty much immediately people are like, wait, where did this author find this? Oh, no, these things don't line up. I researched on the internet like this guy. <laughs> like, so it's like, yeah. You're like, um, which, uh, I got this from the fiction section of uh, Barnes. No, I was going to say Barnes and Noble. No one shops at Barnes and Noble anymore. Oh my it gosh! It says I fiction d- right on the Amazon listing. Well, you totally do. <laughs> I do too, actually. Why were you lying? <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to seem cool. <laughs> cool as Ichabod Crane. Oh man! So something that has. I was going to say like recently been like research, but it was like in like the 1970s. So, <laughs> so 40 years ago, no. as long ago as the revolutionary war was to the people that were reading this story. Exactly. So it's like, Oh, recently. So people were like trying to figure out where did this story actually come from? Like, how did he maybe construct it? How was he influenced? And looking back through, Folk tales, and this is how this winds into what we're talking about, why I chose like this story to talk about, both because I find it interesting, the, the, the fake narrator, like the framed narrator that makes the story seem old, but also he was able to successfully take stories and uh, legendary characters from Europe and transplant them in the United States mm. to create new legends here. Yeah. Because if you look at the United States, for as long as there have been people on this continent, there have been mythologies, folk tales, legends through the native and the indigenous people. Yeah. But when the Europeans came over, they had no interest in hearing about these stories and learning about those mythologies, that culture. And so there was kind of, for them, there was this fresh slate where they could build up their own stories in the area, except it takes a long time to build up stories in the area because, you know, not everybody finds a mysterious creature like out in the woods. Like, it takes some time to build up these legendary figures because you need time as a distance to separate from exactly like, like, Oh, "Oh, this guy saw this crazy thing. Yeah. It's like, you can't, it can't be like a direct, you you heard it from the guy himself. Cause you'll just be like, Oh, that guy's just straight up crazy. Yeah. It it needs to be like, you hear it from multiple people about, you know, like, Oh, we heard this thing about this happening. So multiple people are telling you. So it's like the more people that tell you they're from like different aspects of your life. It's like, well, they don't all know the same person. So there must kind of be something to it. It kind of helps bolster that idea. Of it yeah. potentially being true. Like like you said, where we don't know where the story comes from. We don't yeah. know who the author is. It's just been something that's happened. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, if you if and I hope people do go and read the full legend of Sleepy Hollow, there's a section where everybody is sitting around telling stories at the party. And this the author is very aware of what they're doing, and he talks about how 
they're adding details to their own stories that people kind of know like aren't true, but they just enjoy hearing the not true part or like they're they'll make up for like that not true part. That's very like self-aware, like as a story to be like, people make up things to make a story better. (laughs) And maybe also in this story it does too. One thing also, people are more likely to believe somebody who doesn't believe in ghosts. So there's a person in the story who they say, oh, this man not prone to belief in apparition even had a story about the headless horseman. And I know for myself, like, I'm always more prone to believe that somebody saw a ghost if they said, I never believed in ghosts until that happened to me. Right. If, the, if they're a person who's like, I see spirits all the time and they're always with me. I'm like, oh, that person's a little, you know special and (laughs) they just you know they're more receptive they're more willing to believe that that's what they saw so even like within this story they're saying like if they're like if you have people who you can trust to not believe it themselves even though they experienced it you believe them better it's this weird right brain thing and that also like it takes time to like build up sources like that for a story to make the story feel like oh this does have like a long past this is like something that is affecting right now like it's something that's there one thing that i thought was really interesting about this that i always forget about because again i read this story like when i was in school then i've seen the cartoon movie and like the tim burton movie which is loosely inspired by (laughs) this story probably but the thing that i always forget that gets lost is that the story doesn't treat it like it's a real thing like they treat it as the story of the headless hessian is a story that they tell in the town just like all these other ghost stories that they tell yeah the whole thing at the end is like everyone kind of knows that it was a prank that this guy used to get the girl which is really Interesting. And also, again, that's more believable. Like, it's not asking us to actually believe in a headless horseman or whatever. It's like, oh, I could totally believe that this really happened, that this guy, you know, used this guy's interested stories to freak him out enough that he could scare him out of town or, or yeah. whatever. In, and it was in a work of fiction. So, it's like, when you can do anything, you yeah. could have made there be a real ghost. You could have made there be, be real creatures, yeah. but they didn't. They kept it, like, very real. It's like how kind of, like, meta it is, talking about storytelling, talking about these yeah, um, these things and then like kind of demonstrating themselves and then you know the whole layers upon layers stuff it's like it's really kind of sophisticated yeah because it it is n- not a true ghost story because there's kind of this like wink and a nod you know that it it's n- it didn't happen that yeah. all of these people who have said oh i've had a real experience because like yeah if brown bones came and was like oh, yeah, I totally saw the Headless Horseman last night and I dared him to a race and I won. It's like, well, of course you would say that, Brom. You know, like, <laughs> if so I was going to make... It's so Brom. If I was going to make up a story about myself, I would also make it like, and I defeated this, like, person. Everybody else's stories, too, they're just like, oh, I was on my way home and I got scared out of my mind. <laughs> but Brom is like, no, I challenged I challenge it to a race. race. And I won. It's like, all right, buddy. (laughs) But yeah, because like, I remember when I was a little kid and I saw like the cartoon, I was seriously like, oh my gosh, like, 
I didn't understand the ending, like how he got like attacked, but then like the town just like went on as normal as if like everything was fine. Because I thought that he really was like attacked and disappeared by like the headless horseman and that maybe he became the headless horseman or something, you know, like I was like freaked out because I didn't get the like, like little like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, yeah, like, no, it was a joke. Yeah. That's a good thing too. I don't remember the cartoon. I mean, I remember it, but I don't, I have the same impression as you. Like I kind of got the impression that the headless horseman was kind of like a real thing. Yeah. In the cartoon, but yeah. In the, in the Tim Burton movie, it definitely is like a real thing because this whole mythology about like returning his head and all this weird stuff. But <laughs> so some of the the stories that they think that this is based on is there are several different horse riders throughout European mythology, and there are several headless ones. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones where it's a lot of horsemen. But they all have their heads. It's called the Wild Hunt. And that was more of like an English, like Welsh thing where Mm -hmm. these guys, where it's like these ghosts are like hunting with their hounds. But the leader of the group is like the devil. And they're like, instead of hunting for foxes or something, they're hunting for souls. And it's interesting because as I was reading about this group that was called like the Wild Hunt, I immediately thought of the headless hunt in Harry Potter. Yeah. Where I'm assuming like that's where she got her ideas, like combining like a, like a horseless or headless riders, not horseless riders. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they had coconuts. Yeah. <laughs> that's based on a different thing entirely. Um, and now for something completely different. <laughs> so I'm guessing that's kind of where... J.K. Rowling got the idea for, like, the headless hunt was this, like, old thing of the wild hunt. The more frightening one that I was like, oh, my gosh, that is, like, the goriest thing I've ever heard of. Ooh, is yeah. In, this is a story from Ireland, Irish folk tales called the Dullahan. And the Dullahan is this headless horseman. Sometimes his head, his horse is also headless. Oh. Which is also a terrifying mental image. Like, uh, because sometimes he has a carriage to collect dead bodies and it's driven by headless horses and he's also headless and the entire carriage is like made of bones and human skin. Ooh. But sometimes when he's riding like just by himself, (laughs) he's, he's said to like ride on this dark horse and he is headless, but he's carrying his head with him, but it has this like molded cheese look to it. It's like, oh, it's, it's got this super wide grin because like all the skin is like right. missing from around its mouth oh, and man. its eyes are just like rolling around in its head and it's <sighs> looking, it's the head, this rotted head is looking around for people who have done bad things if they're like wandering around drunk and debaucherous at night, like planning on doing some like horrible thing, like if they're not practicing like good values, then uh-huh. the horseman rides up to them and with his whip made out of human spinal column, 
<laughs> he whips the bad person and blinds them. Like Jeez. rips their eyes out with this like spinal, spinal cord, cord whip. whip or a spinal column whip, like like the bones. Like, yeah, where it's just like Jeez. yeah, like just this like spinal column whip that he's like ripping people's eyes out with if they're bad. But even worse, what he does is he is this omen for impending violent death. So he's not inflicting the violent death. He's an omen of in, like death. So they say like he'll like ride up right outside of like a door. Uh-huh. And when when he stops his horse, he'll like yell out the name of the person who is going to be like the next person to die and like die violently. And then he'll gallop off into the night. Oh, man. And then he'll come back to collect their dead body with his dead body cart made out <laughs> of is... human bones and skin. <laughs> That is horrifying. Uh, I want to start a metal band called what was that? What was that guy's name? Dulahan. 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 Yeah, Dulahan, and that's that's the album cover. Like, just this like spinal column. I bet that there is. I bet there's a heavy metal band. That, oh, like, I guarantee. Already, like, has that. <laughs> they and are like, on it. Yeah, like, oh man, that's because yeah. So when I think about that one, I was like, dude, the headless horseman in the United States, like whatever. <laughs> that's some Disney level stuff. There. Yeah, that's Come some on. Disney level stuff. Like this next level stuff of just like he's wandering around at night to whip out people's eyes. I'm like, oh, my goodness, man. And the description of that rotting head, like I felt sick to my stomach. I thought it was going to oh, do yeah. for real. It seriously is like this is a disgusting story. And so the the circles that, that that character would go around with, either like Irish, like Scottish, they all kind of have this um, like variations on this yeah. like character. And Washington Irving definitely knew these stories. He definitely, uh-huh. when he wrote this story, he grew up in the United States. He was raised in New York City. Raised pretty wealthy, but he ended up moving to Europe and he was living in Europe for a long time when he started writing his stories, like his short stories. And so folklorists, like scholars on this, they believe that he probably had gleaned all these little like frightening tidbits and then turned it into a story that was purely American, like a setting that was purely American of where it's like inside of this like sleepy little Dutch town with these like religious people and you know the headless horsemen that happened in the the revolutionary war the real revolutionary war yeah and so it was a story that people could be like oh yeah this this is something that makes sense to me as like a scary story and a legend and so people did like readily adopt it as a legend and a lot of people don't know that this story actually was written by Washington Irving because even though he was a very prolific and popular writer he was really well renowned when he was alive but after he died a lot of his stuff really it didn't have the same staying power as like other Mm -hmm. authors and so a lot of people don't even know who he is but they know the story of the legend of sleepy hollow because it's been remade so many times and retold in so many different ways that's cool absolutely it is so what 
what is it that you think we can kind of take about this? Like either about, you know, our modern society or like the society of the time, you know, what can we learn about from this story? So what I think is really, really interesting about the creation of legends is that when you have groups of people to have a shared identity, you have to have shared stories. There are so many shared stories in a country that's been around for a long, long time. Even places that countries that border each other, they have stories that are similar and shared and elements that they can combine. And it, it creates this like cohesive group of people who have this like shared story, this like shared identity. And America at the time didn't have that. They were immigrants from a bunch of different countries and they didn't have any stories that were local to them because they, you know, obviously weren't accepting the indigenous stories like of the area. And so they didn't have like any stories. I think what we can learn from the history of this story and how well received it was, is that people want to have a shared identity that it's not just that people need like shared stories, but people want those. They want to have something that they all can recall to each other that they can like share with each other that brings something that brings them together. And what happens inside of this story is that one thing that always brought the townspeople together was sitting around and telling these shared stories with each other. You've been listening to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to, please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more fairy tale content, head over to thefairytellers.wordpress.com for lighthearted retellings, or follow us on Instagram for daily fairy tale memes at the fairy underscore tellers, or even join the conversation on our Facebook page. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at Incompetech.com. May you have warm words on a cold evening, a full moon on a dark night, and a smooth road all the way to your door. An Irish blessing. The Dutch shortening of Abraham is Brom. And so they called him Brom Bones because he just was like real built, stacked, manly man. <laughs> so, and he was in love. Why are you laughing? You're like, no, sorry. I'm just thinking like, of like, have you seen Silicon yeah. Valley? <laughs> no, I haven't. There's, just, there's like, well, I don't want to say it because it's in It's like, this guy bones. But, sorry. <laughs> I, just went, I got inappropriate. I'll probably cut that. But Good. That's what I like to hear. <laughs>